It's WNRI's Upfront. The opinions expressed represent those only of the panel and callers and do not reflect the views of WNRI and its owners. Telephone lines are now open at 7690600. And now, let's join the Upfront panel. Hi, everybody, and uh, welcome to the Upfront program for this um, Tuesday morning. And this is one of those days when the um, council members rotate uh, because we had a city council meeting last night in Harris Hall. And uh, we invite a council member to uh, be with us the day after the meeting. Council Vice President John Ward is in the studio and we're going to interview him starting now. This is the beginning of the interview, Mr. Ward. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, all your listeners, WNRI family. Merry Christmas to all, so I don't forget later. And a Happy New Year coming up. And by the way, today is December the 21st, so welcome to winter. That's true. We'll be chatting with the uh, council vice president about uh, the meeting last night and about other city matters as we make our way through. I just want to uh, take some time for the Woonsocket Elks Lodge. And remind you that today is Tuesday, 10 to 1, we have Italian grinders. Uh, they're $7. You can pick them up right there uh, in the uh, side parking lot of the Elks uh, at 380 Social Street. Every Tuesday, $7. And tomorrow night is Italian night from 5 to 8 at the Elks. We'll tell you about that tomorrow. Friday night is fish fry. We'll tell you about that closer to Friday. And uh, we'll also be telling you about the day after Christmas. They have a Christmas village for the kids the day after the uh, Christmas, the December 26th at the Elks. And uh, we'll tell you more about that as time goes on, too. So, there you go. They're at 380 Social Street, Socket. Grinders starting at 10 o'clock. All right, um, Mr. Council, Vice President, so what is um, the difference between council meetings in 2021? Does anybody show up at these meetings because you have to wear masks and, and there's so many ways to access it? It's a broadcast by Owen Radio. It's on YouTube. It's on the, uh, it's a, you know. It's, it's on cable TV except yeah. for last night when yeah. it was not um, for some cable, for s- uh, cable problem that was going on. Yeah, sometimes that happens. Um, Anybody ever come to the meetings anymore? Uh, yeah, some people do. Uh, not a lot of people speaking at the meetings. Um, I think I think it still has to do with the, the effect of COVID. Um, as a matter of fact, City Hall went back to a mask mandate for those unva- unvaccinated. Well, I guess it's always been that way. And uh, otherwise, you have to show your uh, show your papers, show your papers to show a proof of vaccination if you are to go without a mask. Um, so, and, and I think that's consistent with what the governor announced last week uh, in the workplace and in various places of assembly. But we had, I don't know, other than city employees, uh, probably three or four people there last night observing. There was no public comment, no comments during the public hearings. Um, but public hearings, that's been the case. Um, I guess for the, for the most part, Maybe it has to do with the time of the year and the season because it's Christmas season. People are busy. Maybe they, And maybe there were just no issues, although I, I was surprised. I thought more people would show up to tell us about why we shouldn't have a compassion center or we should have a compassion center, but no one did. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll double back to that, circle back to that, as they say, uh, a little bit later in the program. And uh, so 
you have the experience of seeing two municipalities, Lincoln and Woonsocket. Uh, are we basically uh, pretty much in step with each other um, with the mask wearing and attendance at meetings and so forth? Or is there a tale of two cities to tell? Um, yes and yes. We're, we're in sync in terms of attendance being relatively low, um, except for those people that have a specific interest in an issue before the council. The... Um, I don't know that it's. I guess there are there have been in the past more people at Lincoln Council meetings generally, but I think recently it's it's dwindled down because of COVID and the mask restrictions. Yes, we have. We ask people who are unvaccinated to be wearing the mask as they come in. The employees have to wear masks whenever they're in a common area. If you're sitting in your office or at your desk, properly distanced, it's not required. However, moving about the building, all pe- all employees are. Uh, requested to wear a mask, you know, not just for the, the the health reasons, but as much as anything else, it's for peace of mind among the staff. Although it's seeming that Omicron variant is is a weaker variant, but much more virulent in terms of spreading. It gets around fast, and it seems to have spread across the country quickly. The nice thing about that is it may have blocked out Delta variant, which was a stronger variant that was causing more health issues. Um, so maybe if this can build up some resistance for people who can catch it and be asymptomatic, that would be a good thing for it to spread quickly. If you've just but joined us. I'm not a doctor. Okay. John Ward is with us, Vice President of Wonsaga City Council. And we're going to go into uh, some of the uh, specifics of the council meeting. And then we'll uh, maybe uh, talk about a few other uh, ancillary issues, as they call them. I'm not going to make too much about the Pacific Asian cuisine. It was a public hearing on uh, on their license, but I, I'm, I'm asking you more about the rumor mill. I, I heard that the, the person who operates this business on Cumberland Street uh, purchased uh, the, um, uh, the castle, and I was wondering um, whether uh, she's remaining on Cumberland Street, and what's she going to do with the castle? Anything uh, on that? I have no idea. Okay, maybe, next question. Maybe I'll have to go get a meal and ask. <laughs> I well, I thought I don't maybe know. during the public hearing um, they might have said, uh, we know that you have, per- you know, that they could have used that as a step step stone to yeah, uh, ask the question. I mean, there's no requirement to tell us anything, but it's it's a fair question to ask. And um, I I don't know whether their their lease situation is at the, on Cumberland Street. And I know they own the building where the castle was now. So it's, it's possible that something will happen in terms of relocation, but I don't know that this transfer had anything to do with that. Okay, let's get to uh, actual stuff that you did discuss and and can comment on. I don't know if I'll take it in order. Yeah, we'll take it in order. Take it any way you want. So, um, American Rescue Funds, um, the council uh, had uh, two uh, pieces of uh, new business, uh, both for, uh, for, I guess, sheltering of the homeless uh, in January, February, and March. And also providing uh, funds to continue the operation of New Beginnings. And I'll take them one at a time. On New Beginnings, you're not funding their, their new purchase of a building, right? You're just no. funding the ongoing program. No, we had a discussion at, the, at a special meeting a week ago, and there's not, there's not a, an awful lot of certainty about whether or not the uh, rescue plan funds could be used to assist in purchasing the building. However, we do know that we can we can provide support for the operation that they do, which is uh, providing meals for needy people. 
and we know we can use it for that, and so that's why we limited our contribution to them to provide support for that so that any of their resources they have that would have gone towards that, they can then direct towards maybe renovations of the building they're acquiring or any other work that's necessary. So in, indirectly, it may assist them in doing the things they need to do. All right, but it is for operational expenses. Correct. Uh, and that's what um, Mr. Luber has got to account for, right? Correct. Yes. The other uh, part of the American Rescue Plan is uh, the uh, use of the motor in uh, in um, cold weather. And uh, do, you, do you know uh, what the criteria will um, will spark uh, the ability to use a room overnight? Or is that uh, the discretion of, uh, let's say, the Human Services uh, that will, Director? That will be through the Human Services Director and, and working with local agencies, probably Community Care Alliance. Um, in identifying those who would qualify to need to go in there. I'm personally hopeful that it's more directed towards um, anybody that's homeless and that, in, that can't fit into the shelter and may have children. But it will be something that's, um, that's directed through Human Services Department. All right, and um, 70,000, uh, 70, right? Yes, three months, ten, but, um, ten rooms. That doesn't mean it's going to be used. This means it's been set no, aside. No, but it's set aside, and I think in light of uh, the de- description of the homeless problem in the city, I suspect that they will be used. I hate to do this. I don't know. I like to get you in trouble, but because you have the oh, unique, uh, the unique experience of uh, tale of two cities again, Lincoln and Woonsocket. <laughs> does Lincoln have a homeless, homeless problem, problem in, in any way, or uh, do some cities and towns like Gloucester or Foster uh, uh, escape this? I don't think that we escape it in Lincoln. I think it's there, but in a much lower level. Just like I think in Gloucester or Foster, it would be much lower. It may happen. However, oftentimes it happens, or yeah, for the most part, it happens in cities and urban areas because that is where um, those who are homeless and maybe living in an encampment or in tents around in the woods and along the rivers and under bridge abutments and wherever they may live are are able to access meals that they may need and other facilities that may be available to them. Um, some there are some places that provide showers and things of that nature. So, because those and bus bus traffic, they can catch a bus to go from place to place around the state. So, it tends to be that the homeless will congregate in the urban areas in order to take advantage of those services. And for those who are receiving counseling or other kinds of assistance personally, uh, then it would be easier for them to do it closer to those services. The answer is no, they don't have as much of a problem, not even close. Well, I could have said that, too. Yeah. Good morning. You're on the Upfront program. Do you have a question for Mr. Ward? Hello. Hey, how are you guys doing today? Good. Good, good morning. Good. good, good. I got one really quick question, then a follow-up question, depending on your answer, Mr. Ward. Sure. Do you, does the Wataka City Council, so it's you need a vaccination card or it's a mask. Do you guys accept a natural, well, I should say previous COVID infection, um, and the reason I, well, go ahead, can you answer that? Does the documentation of that, like a printout from my chart, you know, showing a previous COVID infection, does that count? I don't believe so. Um, I don't, uh, I didn't know that there is state record keeping done on previous um, infection of COVID and the fact that someone's had it. I don't know. They're, what they're looking oh. for is the vaccination record from the, the, the state portal or your cards. Um, so, so I... 
again, I, I have no idea whether there's a, a state official state record saying you actually had it. Um, but as far as I know, that would not be considered acceptable, and that you would be expected to wear a mask. Gotcha, and that's a small price to pay. I, I don't. I think wearing a mask is a very small price to pay for public safety. I, I totally, totally uh, have no problem wearing a mask. What I will say is this, uh, and again, I don't. I don't mean to get on the soapbox here, but I, I you know, I just applied to go to Iceland uh, for vacation next year, and they require either vaccine um, passport or vaccine proof of that, or uh, a previous COVID test showing that you were positive, meaning that you have natural immunity. That's to enter the country of Iceland, okay? So um, what I'm saying here is I think that natural immunity is going to be, uh, the, the scientists are going to be forced to acknowledge that it is real. There's been over 135 different studies that have proven that natural immunity is, in some cases, less effective than a vaccine, some as much, and some oh, it's a lot more effective, some of the studies have shown. So is Winsocket going to get on board with the science on this and just say, hey, look, natural immunity is real. If you've recovered from COVID, you have natural immunity. Or are we going to just continue to do what the state says? Any pushback? Is there any thoughts on that? And that's all I have, Mr. Ward. Okay. The, 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 Thank the, you. The, the slightly long answer is that um, we are governed or governed by the state when it comes to mandates and how we handle these things. It's all under a governor's emergency order. So it's not as if the city of Winsaka can unilaterally decide to do something different than what's ordered from the state. However, I'll say this. I understand the argument about natural immunity, and I, as with any kind of virus or other infection, you do develop immunities to it. Um, but what is shown from the vaccines, um, they wear off. That, natural, that immunity fades. Um, I don't know whether that applies also to any kind of uh, immunities that you or resistance that you may develop based upon having had COVID and how much time has gone by. So uh, I would think if the man-made vaccines are providing assist, providing resistance for only a period of time, it may also be the case for natural immunity that comes from having COVID. And so that the time element may become a factor as we're learning with Omicron and different levels of vaccination provide different levels of resistance interesting topic natural immunity but as i commented in facebook you know what comes after omicron what pie in the greek alphabet you know what happens when you try to solve pie it goes on to infinity must be time for a commercial when you start uh, (laughs) rambling on like that all right Uh, it's uh, one of the um, pitfalls of uh, having John Watt as a guest. But on the other hand, uh, he does supply a lot of other meaningful information, so it's a trade-off. Now, um, what does election data services contract mean? What's it for? Um, because it looks like uh, we, uh, we're spending some money with this company, and I don't know much about it. Well, we may not be spending money necessarily. It's election data services is the state contract that we're going to ride the contract for services related to relining the districts that are set for the state reps and senators in the city. You know, the state will set the lines, but it's the city's responsibility in the canvasser's office to notify those residents whose district has shifted and send out mailing to inform them of their new polling place. And we have to set those borders for the polling places. And so electronic data services will provide assistance in doing that, that uh, homework necessary to do that. However, if the lines do not shift significantly, and because we only have a certain number of locations to use as polling locations, 
the the need for their services may be minimal or not at all, depending on how small the changes are to the districts. Sounds like it's in preparation in case. Correct. Uh, are you getting the feeling from uh, the redistricting um, commission, and uh, I don't know if you've talked to uh, Rep. Phillips about it, uh, whether there's going to be much realigning in Woonsocket or really uh, everybody's pretty satisfied with the way that their districts are based on the census? I've looked at the maps, and it appears that the realignment and the, the what I've heard is the direction they're going in will provide uh, for very little change in the district layout. Um, and because of that, as I said, the polling locations, for the most part, won't change. Doesn't sound something. controversial. Yeah. I don't think it'll be controversial in the city. There's a couple of areas where people are are being shifted, and it's creating some turmoil, but uh, not one socket. All right, another call here. Hello. Uh, what question would you like to pose to Mr. Ward? Well, I just want to make a statement. It's very interesting. Mr. Ward has said, basically, that this new Omicron virus, he's, whole, he said, he's stated a very good thing, that this is going to come first, it might even outdo Delta, and it's going to spread the immunity to you without having the dangers of having some of the other more harmful COVID-19 variations. So it's going to impart natural immunity. And I'm listening to this and I think to myself, well, President Biden's mandates are being turned up, being rejected by courts. And now our governor has a mandate. I don't see how it could hold any more than the president's. And the bottom line is if the city of Woonsocket said, you know what, we're going to accept proof that you've had COVID and got it over as natural immunity, and we're going to consider that as good as a vaccine, which most likely is better. The science I read, I'm not a doctor, but the science I read says natural immunity is actually better than what we get out of the vaccine, or most likely is it is in most cases in other diseases. Why wouldn't it be in this one? If the city of Woonsocket said, yeah, you know what, we're going to accept proof of natural immunity. What would the state, what would the recourse be? Don't too bad. Hey, stop shouting. Do- I can't stand it when you shout. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> but too bad. What are we going to do if we say we're going to accept that? Uh, so we can just do it. Don't tell me we can't. And then tell them to sue us. Go ahead, sue us. <laughs> All right, your well, comment, Mr. That, that is That is always an option. And uh, because... Because executive orders are made by executives, I'll leave it to the chief executive of the city to make that decision. I don't think it's something that the council could could vote to do, but the the administrative chief administrator actually, I'm sure she would say it's really up to the emergency management director to make those decisions. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's you can't ignore them. There is there are some counties in the state of New York that are ignoring the governor's mandate there, Nassau County. I heard the the, the director saying the new elected official uh, that that's coming into office saying that he's not going to follow it because their statistics show that they're not encountering the same problem they're encountering in New York City. And I suppose that's that's fine as long as the state's not going to have some recourse or take any action against you. You could do that. But it's something for a discussion slightly further off into the future because I think we need to get a firm grasp of the effects of Omicron. And, and even with Omicron, it, you know, it is milder according to the statistics that are coming out. However, there is still a, an at-risk population that is severely affected and it has to do with comorbidities and all the other factors that have been in place since COVID started. And they need to be 
kept, we need to be, remain aware of those things and protect the people who are most at risk. That's all. It's, I, it's, it's always been the case we should have taken care of the people most at risk first. I agree with you, but the reason I'm bringing this up is, you know, apparently, according to even Fauci, we're never going to completely get rid of it. And if it never goes away, we're still going to have to go back to normal someday. Well, that, I don't know about whether Mr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci would agree with you that we'll ever get back to normal. I think if he had his way, we will never get back to normal. But, oh, yeah. um, but, but the fact is, yes, any virus that comes into the world among the human population, I don't think ever truly goes away. It can be contained to a certain point. It, it evolves into something different and milder. And so, yeah, it's like the flu. Every year we get a new flu virus that comes around and... Some, you know, the, the flu, the, the, the shots can take up, care of some of it or some of it doesn't. It's like I could bring up one other point. Some people say our only way out of the vaccine. Well, I looked up the history and there have been at least 11 major plagues throughout history. And we got past all of them without a vaccine. Well, not, so, every, not everybody did. <laughs> everybody except the ones that died. We appreciate your call. Have a good day. Good day. This is the Upfront Program on WNRI. It's break time. The go-to place for authentic Italian dining is Savini's Pomodoro Italian Kitchen and Bar. Over 20 Italian dishes made to order from our menu or experience our Sicilian-style pizza. Build your own while you choose from your veggies, meats, and cheeses. And, of course, our traditional family-style chicken dinner is offered every day. Savini's Pomodoro on Rathbun Street with affordable accommodations for weddings, birthdays, anniversaries, and business meetings. Close Mondays open Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 4, Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays at noon. For reservations, call 762-5114. That's 762-5114. Savini's Pomodoro Italian Kitchen and Bar, 476 Rathbun Street, Woonsocket. Hi, this is Gina Savini, inviting you to join us at our family-owned businesses, Savini's or Ciro's, perfect for any event. Savini's will be open uh, today, Tuesday, at 4 o'clock. Uh, and um, in addition to uh, having a nice dinner at uh, Savini's, you might want to um, buy some gift cards. Nice stocking stuffers. And um, always appreciated. Gift card from Savini's Pomodoro Italian Kitchen and Bar. For that matter, Ciro's too. Two fine restaurants right here in the Woonsocket area. Next, the Honey Shop. 1300 Park Avenue in Woonsocket, searching for the perfect gift. We've got some uh, holiday gift ideas. These are stocking stuffers for sure. How about hot pepper jelly? I've bought it, and I've used it. And on uh, some toast, it is, um, well, I don't know if people like hot pepper jelly. Are you, uh, are you a hot pepper uh, type of guy, a spicy food type of guy, Mr. Ward? I know you're busy, uh, but... Uh, no, I am not no, a spicy No, you don't like spicy food? No, uh, no. No hot pepper jelly for uh, you or no peach jalapeno jelly for you? No. No, is I don't see that. jalapeno or jalapeno? Uh, whatever it is, um, I'm saying pino, but you're probably right again. Now, um, they also have gift boxes, baskets, hand-painted glasses. Uh, we have um, resin art. Uh, teas, salsas, sauces, hot sauces, aged balsamics, olive oils, jewelry, essential oils, fragrant oils, body care products, soup mixes, hot honey, smoked honey, health products. I mean, unbelievable things. Now, they have some workshops coming up. 
in January. They have a mushroom identification workshop. What? Yes. Sunday, January 9th, 11 to 1.30. Learn the basics of hunting for mushrooms, identification of mushrooms, different species of mushrooms, where mushrooms grow habitat, mushroom lookalikes, and easily identifiable beginner's mushrooms so that you can say, hey, that's a mushroom and it's safe to pick and eat. Cooking methods of mushrooms, preserving mushrooms. This is uh, two to two and a half hours on Mushroom Identification Workshop, Sunday, January 6th. One more uh, workshop, Cooking Keto and Low Carb Foods Workshop. Sounds like something you'd enjoy uh, doing. Uh, low carbs and cooking keto. Have you ever tried the keto diet? Uh, you mean eating nothing but meat? Meat <laughs> and dairy, like eggs and, and, uh, eggs. Right, and heavy cream well, and I, things I like tend, that. I tend to head that way anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Until you put a baked potato in front of me. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that'll spike you. <laughs> anyway, uh, cooking keto and low-carb foods workshop is coming January 16th to the Honey Shop. And it's 11 to 1, and you can sign up for that. For more information, 401-766-1488 to join our workshops. And for the latest information on the Honey Shop, check out uh, the Facebook page for regular updates. Or you can listen to WNRI, and we'll give you regular updates, too. All right? Thank you. Champs Liquors. Here's another place to go to pick up uh, all your uh, supplies for Christmas, uh, whether it's uh, spirits, wine. Champs Liquors for Keyway. 481 Clinton Street, Woonsocket, still featuring flip-flop wines. A California winery that has crafted a variety of wines that are fun, fruit-flavored, with amazing taste. Listen to what we have. Two bottles of flip-flop wine for $10, including Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Pink Moscato, regular Moscato, Chardonnay, and Pinot Grigio. Again, two bottles for $10, mix and match. And our newest wine edition comes from Italy. Check out the Stella Rosa Collection. It's a semi-sweet wine offered in a variety of tastes, including peach, blackberry, blueberry, watermelon, and green apple to mention a few, and affordably priced at $11.99 or $12.99. Goes well with a wide range of appetizers, entrees, and desserts. And yes, we continue the best price in town on Bud or Bud Light, 30-pack, $26.47 plus tax. We're open daily, 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. For a great selection of beer and wine and spirits, you can count on Champs Liquors, 481 Clinton Street. All right, Wright's Dairy Farm for holiday enjoyment, now featuring Bush de Noel. If you love chocolate like I do, this cake is for you. It is a uh, chocolate sponge cake, and then it's rolled in light chocolate filling and then covered with chocolate ganache. Bush de Noel, available daily through New Year's at Wright's. And then there's our seasonal cupcakes now available. This year we have uh, eggnog and red velvet cupcakes. Try them both. And then the mini Christmas platter. And this is uh, great for entertaining because you've got, some ch- you've got some eclairs on there. You have some slices of Bush de Noel. You have red velvet cupcakes, cheesecake squares, limoncello squares, and mocha sandwich cookies. This should be part of your Christmas dessert spread if you love cookies. And just regular cookies, we've got plenty of them. You can grab an individual package or you can try one of our Christmas cookie trays. And our famous rum balls, available daily. Farm fresh eggnog, available daily all through the holidays. 
Want to place an order at Rice Dairy Farm and Bakery? All right, 767-3014. I'll give you the address, but it's more uh, ceremonial because I think everybody knows where it is. 200 Woonsocket Hill Road, North Smithfield. And we're open daily at 8 o'clock in the morning. Did I do a good job, Mr. Ward? You did. If you cross over if you cross over at 146 on the bridge, you've gone too far. Okay, you got it. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. All right, the panel is reconvened. John Ward, Vice President of City Council, is here, and we are going to get back to a couple of items because we don't run out of time. And I do want to ask you about whether we have a deficit or a surplus in the city, but not time yet. You can think know. about it. Oh well, you uh, maybe uh, maybe the finance director will uh, be listening and will give you the answer. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, uh, let's go to the police station. Let's talk about toilets and sinks, and then we'll talk about uh, video cameras. But um, I I think there are eleven cells uh, at the police station. Uh, have you ever? Um, sounds like I've never been there. Yeah. I've never visited. Um, You've never been to the police station? Well, I've been to the police station. I've never been in the area where uh-huh. the cells are. Neither have I, to be quite honest and, with you. But I know this. The plumbing is all between two walls with the cells on either side. And it is old and it's leaking and it's not doing its job and it needs to be replaced. But physically, because of the small space, uh, it's impossible to do without just tearing it all out. And that would be appropriate because of the age of the plumbing. And so for $155,000, we approved transferring money from the capital budget to the police department's budget and they will contract with a person who's going a company who will come in and strip out all the plumbing and put in the flex plumbing uh the tubing the plastic tubing which they can mount right on the wall and create space to be able to do maintenance if they have to in the future so that will take care of that why can't we use american rescue funds for this i mean this is an infrastructure type of thing why do we have to go into uh regular budget stuff we we could if it there's certain categories that you can use the money for and one of them is revenue replacement but it's the projects you already had in the works like the led streetlight program and some of the sidewalks and roads that we've always been doing but uh, that particular problem didn't come up prior to the American Rescue Plan funds. And so under revenue replacement, we're not able to do it. And, <clears throat> and it would otherwise not fit in the descriptions that are allowed. <clears throat> Excuse me. But what it does do is it frees up capital money that we would otherwise have to use elsewhere. So like with my description of um, New Beginnings, we can take money that was for other things and put it to this project. And so it'll get done. All right. Uh, so now the um, the surveillance or cameras or uh, I'm all for this. Incidentally, uh, I know that there's a debate as to whether you should go out to bid or not. But I I, I think this in a city like Woonsocket is invaluable. And I need to say because I was the person who argued about the the uh, going to bid issue, the competitive bidding issue. Um, I am all for it too. I think it's worked well. Uh, I was a little uncomfortable with the way they they sort of uh, went directly to police departments and got them to sign on before anybody in the city um, council or anybody that would be an authority to make decisions about signing contracts was aware of it. That part disturbs me, and I've found dozens of other communities that have gone to bid for this service, and Flock has won in most of those cases. But um, that's being researched because our charter requires us to go to bid for things that are going to be that at that level of purchase you uh, 
dropped a, a word called Flock. That's the name of the company? That's the brand name of the, of the product and the company and their proprietary hardware and software that does the job in the way that the police department is very comfortable with. And, and several communities around the state are doing it. Um, I don't know what their charters call for for purchasing, but it's a very effective tool. And that's all it is. It's a tool to replace and enhance the ability of personnel to do a job that's necessary, which is locate stolen vehicles and find out, uh, find unregistered vehicles and things such as that. Was it uh, Chief Oates that was uh, making the uh, the pitch uh, for it? Yes, it all was right. Chief Oates. So, uh, so instead of letting uh, the public safety director, Mr. Gillette, uh, I think uh, I think he was very compelling in terms of how he uh, put his argument. I think he, he was, was passionate about no, it. No, he, he was, and I think he, he does want this uh, very much. And and I, as he said, points out, as more and more communities do it, and there's an, a linkage between the communities in terms of communicating the information, it's going to be that much more um, successful as a program around the state. And so... I wish the state would have gone to bid and acquired flock services, and then we would have just been able to ride the bid. We'd sign a contract, and we'd be on our way. Yeah. Didn't work that way, sir. No. All right. Uh, so we've covered the surveillance cameras. We've covered the toilets and the sinks. Uh, all right. Now now we're going to go to um, a couple of uh, more items I think are of interest, and um, that would be... The street lighting is uh, the less sexy uh, before we get to the marijuana compassion center. Street lighting, what's the difference between LED and a regular street light? <laughs> um, I close the door. The, uh, the biggest difference is the cost of the electricity to operate the light fixture. Um, the LEDs are light emitting diodes that are very low wattage for, with a high output of light. Um, as you have in many homes today, you buy LED lights and you save yourself some electricity. And so the cost of operation is much less and there'll be a lot of savings in our streetlight program budget line once these are installed. Um, that's the basic difference is the cost, the, the, the amount of light that comes off of them versus the cost of the electricity to do it. You've already got some of this in Lincoln, right? Uh, again, uh, no, to no, actually, we, we have not yet oh, done, any, done our installation. Smithfield has, North Smithfield has, uh, Providence has, Pawtucket has. Many communities have. Lincoln's Lincoln's working on that agreement and going to the will be going to the council soon. But we have not. We were part of the process with Woonsocket and Smithfield in acquiring the bid and and signed on Prism as the company that's going to manage the contract. And um, then once we do that, we have to sign in a maintenance agreement and take care of the lights because now they're ours. Mr. Gendron had to uh, kind of, uh, you know, draw some information out of Mr. Luber about uh, about the lights, uh, because apparently we are buying them, but it's only the only part that National Grid plays is maintaining them. Is that my understanding? No, actually, National Grid won't be maintaining them. We we, uh, we currently are paying what they call a tariff amount, which is a monthly rental, basically, for street lights. That includes the National Grid providing the light fixture, maintaining the light fixture, and, um, you know, basically doing all the service. When we buy these lights now, we will own the light fixtures, and we will be obligated to then contract with a company for a maintenance contract. So if something goes wrong with the light, we'll have to contact our company that we hire, who will then take care of maintaining the light fixture. If there's a car accident and a fixture comes down, or if it hits a decorative pole on Main Street, 
the replacement with work will be done under our maintenance contract. It sounds like somebody other than National Grid, or unless, oh, no, unless it, say, they're going to bid, too. No, National Grid doesn't usually bid for that. No, mm-hmm. it would be this individual companies. Prism, for instance, the company that's going to be doing managing the installation um, does provide that service, too, as a maintenance agree- mm-hmm. agreement. Uh, several other companies do that, and that's another thing that will have to be competitively bid once we get through the installation process. How long is it going to take to uh, do this conversion? I think it's probably something measured in months. It'll likely start in the spring when the weather breaks and they're able to start doing the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it takes that long. It should be done before the summer is over. I think I heard 65 bucks per fixture. Uh, I heard 60 I thought. All right. You know, it's close enough. Yeah. So 3,000 fixtures, $180,000 on top of the 760 change and probably some other costs. I think Mr. Lewis said it'll probably cap out at about $1.1 million. All right. So Prism is a company that that uh, provides the lighting and maybe might end up servicing the lighting of these LED fixtures. At least initially they will, but then we'll have to go to bid for that contract. And we expect better street illumination and cheaper. Not just better. You can vary it depending on the neighborhood's needs. And you can direct it more cleanly so that Mm -hmm. if, if you can keep it on or off somebody's property, you can... You can avoid overlap. There's it's like many, a spotlight, it, huh? it, It's much more directional, and it's mm-hmm. much easier to brighten and dim. And you can even do it so that it gets dimmer at different hours of the night or brighter at different hours of the night. So it's, it's much more flexibility. Here's a subject that a lot of misinformation is on. <laughs> Incredible. But uh, uh, Medical Marijuana Compassion Center. Now... Um, Maybe you could um, give us an overview that uh, there were only so many licenses available statewide. Correct. And they were done by regions. And uh, so um, did we have to accept a medical marijuana compassion center after they met all the state regulations or, or not? Because some people think we just should have banned them from one socket. We didn't have to agree to have a medical marijuana compassion center. Um, there, uh, matter of fact, our zoning ordinance was written such that it would be completely um, distanced from residential areas, uh, schools, churches, all of, all of the other things that you want to separate it from. And to put it in the middle of that plaza is probably one of the one of the better choices. Um, people have to have have a legal right to obtain the marijuana because it's for medical purposes. Now, you mean a prescription? It's a prescription. It's mm-hmm. not my job to decide the quality of the prescription that a doctor gives to give to use the stuff. Um, some may be more liberal than others when it comes to providing prescriptions for it. But the fact is they have a, a legal prescription that has to be on file with the provider. The provider is extremely restricted in how they manage their inventory, how they account for it to the state. Um, it is a very highly regulated process, and we put our own restrictions on it. And I think at some point we had the right to simply say, no, we don't want it at all in the city. In the city. But, again, well, as with all programs where there are needs, uh, people who have those needs and are not well off tend to congregate in the urban areas, and Woonsocket's one of them. So it's... Um, it, probably doing its best job by being in the city of Woonsocket at some point. I think people have to realize that this compassion center 
is not a retail store like in Bellingham and Blackstone. Is it? <laughs> no, it right. is not I, that at all. I think some people it think is, it is. It so is could more, you make that distinction? Yes, it's more akin to a pharmacy that only de- retails in a specific product for medical purposes. And, and here's the other part of this is that, um, you know, we're on the border where people can cross over and simply buy what they need uh, in a retail setting. With a prescription or not, in yeah. a retail store in Massachusetts. Yeah. So it's, um, I don't know, it, it's it's happening all around us. And, and there's talk now at the General Assembly that it won't be too long before they just open it up to retail sales, too. Because there's lots of tax money to collect on it. All right. So we are not, we didn't give a, approval for a retail store because it's still illegal in Rhode Island. Correct. This is a... Compassion Center by prescription only. Yeah, I don't like the name Compassion Center, frankly. I yeah. understand the concept behind using the term, but basically yeah. it's, a, it's a medical marijuana provider. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they could have technically, if it were not for federal law, CVS could be doing this. But because of federal laws, they can't. But um, that's why they do it as separate centers. But it's, it's basically nothing more than a, a sales location to acquire medical marijuana. All right. Uh, that's enough for the city council meeting. No, I don't see anything else. Yeah, it was all pretty boring. Or uh, anything else here I want to cover. It said, to wish my colleagues and general public Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, that kind of stuff, right? Yes. We so, uh, what's Socket's fiscal condition uh, right now from uh, where, where you said, I realize getting financial um, questions answered in the city of Winsocket is... It's easier for you to get them answered in Lincoln because you're the finance director. <laughs> so maybe we'll begin. Maybe we'll begin. That's How's true. Lincoln doing? Well, Lincoln's doing well. Good. How's uh, Winsaga doing? I don't know. Uh, it's, um, no, I'm sure. I'm confident that our numbers are good because they threw $36 million at us. And we had some other COVID money that came in. And we had FEMA reimbursements on a whole bunch of expenditures related to the response to COVID back last spring and in 2020 and early 2021, they were filing applications for reimbursement. So there's been probably by now hundreds of thousands of dollars of reimbursements for expenses. So I'm confident we're in good shape. We may be, I suspect many communities are going to have better results than, than many people thought. And we'll find out that likely the federal response was too much money um, and created opportunity because i think they were thinking tax collections were going to go down and i don't think they went down precipitously i think they just they fell off a little bit um so i I think i think we're going to be in good financial shape and this covid or rescue plan money um is going to allow us to do some of the projects that at either either a higher level or get them done um than would have otherwise been available to us and so i think we're in good shape just intuitively, I'd say we're in good shape. This um, question was spurred by a Providence Journal story in which the uh, Cranston Mayor, Mr. Hopkins, uh, announced a, um, a surplus. And, but most of the surplus came from the school department. And I, I don't have Mr. Boyer and... and um, I'm confident they'll have a surplus. Yes, I think they have a huge, a huge sur- surplus. surplus yes. right? um, they, I believe they do. And again, right. that has to do with the state money that came to them from the federal government. Uh, related to COVID response and covering the costs, extra costs associated with mm-hmm. their remote operations. And it allowed them to basically pay for things that they would have otherwise had to pay for themselves. 
And so their annual appropriation was far more than they needed when you covered it with other funds coming from the feds. And we have Mr. Boyger and uh, Dr. McGee coming uh, to visit with us shortly, and uh, we'll pursue with them uh, there uh, because they always bring a... Uh, a little spreadsheet of uh, their finances from yes, Brad. From Brad. Uh, right. I forgot his last name, but uh, their finance guy. Good finance guy, I understand. He's very good. All right. You're on the Upfront program. We're talking with uh, Mr. Um, Ward. He's uh, vice president of council. So, is anybody, have you heard anybody say that they're going to oppose? Lisa Baldelli Hunt, who has already announced that she's going to run for mayor again. Uh, could this be one of those contests where um, where we don't have uh, any opponent uh, for the mayor? So what do you think? Huh? I, I have not heard anybody come out and say that they're that they're planning to run. I wouldn't. I, I don't know. We're getting up to the point where you would expect it. Um, I was frankly a bit surprised that she made the announcement so early, which of course causes people to scratch their head and say, okay, what's this really about? It's about uh, fending off her uh, competitors. <laughs> oh, I don't... I, yeah, you I, know, I would do that if I were. Uh, as I said in other, in two other audiences, um, a, an incumbent mayor with many years... Other of, audiences? Other audiences. <laughs> an incumbent mayor with other, with this many years of service in the job and $36 million in her pocket to spend on infrastructure is not at high risk of being thrown out of office. Um, the, the, there's, there's a greater risk that she will struggle because of her inability to fill positions that are critical to the city. And uh, But in terms, of, in terms of the political ramifications of the operation, when you're showing surpluses everywhere, you get $36 million to spend, and, um, and you're an incumbent, good luck to anybody who wants to try that race. All right, let's do some emails here. Thank you. Are you running again for re-election? I don't know. Thank you. I'll ask you again in a few seconds, give you a chance to think about it. Good morning, Roger I and still John. I not know. Very happy to have John on our city council. Conrad Joe is scheduled today to meet <laughs> and issue warnings to that must the be from Pauline. Uh, no, it's from Sandra. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So Two back to the email. <laughs> Conrad Joe is scheduled today to issue warnings to the unvaccinated when he implements mask and jab mandates for all illegals that he is welcoming into our country. I think uh, that means when. Oh, yeah, it does say when will he do this? That is, uh, to me, one of the most fascinating questions. All this crap that we're talking about, about masks and vaccinations, and then we have millions of people in the country who just walked across. Nobody talks about their vaccination status. It is bizarre in my mind. <laughs> when will he talk about it? Never. Never? Okay. Never. There's your answer, um, uh, if, uh, if you Sandra. ignore a problem, it doesn't exist, right? She goes on to write... Um, then he can spoo his hypocritical warnings. So much for that. Merry Christmas to the both of you. And hope you have a Christmas dedicated, decorated masks for the sea. Do you have a decorated mask that you've been wearing? I don't. All right, next. I don't. I have a blue mask, so I guess it's for blue Christmas. This guy says, if you think this covert bullcrap is ever going to end, you are in fantasy land. Get your booster. Would you wear a paper or surgical mask to do asbestos removal? Why do you think these masks will do anything to stop or slow the spread of micron-sized particles? Maybe an aluminum foil hat will help stop spread 
Fools writes this email. Peter writes, uh, can you please ask the city council president if the council will be spending any of the rescue funds on ways to lower domestic violence, addressing the opioid crisis, or for the small business community? So have you heard on any of those? I have not heard on any of those topics. And frankly, um, if we were to provide support for ending domestic violence, well, I'm not... I'm not sure how you end domestic violence. You react to domestic violence by protecting those people who have been who have been uh, harmed by it and ca- finding some way to cause or provide separation so that they're not at risk any longer. But there are agencies that handle that much better than municipal people. So if anything, it would be part of money that would go in a grant to those agencies. The same thing with the opioid crisis. There's agencies that are dealing with that, providing... Um, providing whatever assistance they can through counseling and, and assistance to individuals and families who are involved with opioids in a bad way. Um, and sometimes it's very tragic, but it's, again, and, and, you know, part of the homeless sheltering issue is that once you get people into a shelter, uh, you might be able to get their attention. And if they do have issues with either alcohol or opioids or other drugs, you can actually know where they are to access them for some counseling and hopefully get them to change their ways or or deal with those issues. And in terms of small business and economic assistance, I think much of that currently is um, being handled with the pile of money that's being passed through the state. Uh, they have more small business initiatives that are passing through their funding. Um, unfortunately, from everything I've heard, it's one of those things where it's a much more bureaucratic process than small businesses like to deal with. Um, but it's there, and they're working on it, and I think the personnel and and programs and bureaucracy necessary to do that is, again, one of those things probably best handled by the state because they should have the ability to assist, especially in such a small state. We're only the size of a county for some states. Um, they're, they're better served, suited to do this work, and they have a pile of money to do it with. Mr. Vice President, what would you like to tell people? We're running out of time. Would you like to, uh, like, uh, say, uh, Happy Valentine's Day or something? Or, well, know. it'll probably be after Valentine's Day before I'm back on as a council member, so mm-hmm. I'll say Happy Valentine's Day. I'll Thank say... You. I'll say enjoy your Martin Luther King Day holiday. I'll say you go out there and enjoy my birthday in January if you can. What day are you? Uh, uh, the 24th. Uh-huh. Close to my wife's and, birthday. Um, and besides that, uh, like I said, it's it's winter solstice, so it's the true New Year's Day. Um, because we start the new year of lighting the world with more sunlight. And happy other new year. And Merry Christmas to all. And I hope you all have blessings and prosperity in the future. Thanks for being here. Scott McGee of REMAX Properties brings his years of real estate experience to you, whether buying or selling. Check out this property currently on the market from the McGee team. All right, let's go to Park Avenue for this commercial property. Uh, It's got uh, some commercial uh, settings on the first floor and Residential on the uh, second floor. It's uh, what they call a mixed-use property at 379.9. Scott McGee has it, and would love to uh, show it to you. Uh, great area of the city. Rents are low because uh, you've got long-term tenants who are nice tenants. 
And then there's a full-service salon on the first floor and two three-bedroom units on the second floor. And uh, also, um, the building is in great shape. A great investment. So if you want to check it out, Scott McGee at 639-2906. See you tomorrow. This has been WFRI's Upfront, presented weekday mornings at 8 a.m. Upfront is a regular public affairs presentation of News Talk 1380, WNRI Woonsocket.